Good garbage means to me that it's good packaging. All the characteristics that the consumer bought that product for, packaging enabled it. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Good Garbage Podcast. My name is Veth Krishna. My primary reason for existence has been to find ways to leave our wonderful planet cleaner. We will be speaking with material innovators, creators, and propagators to learn from them how we can build for scale and towards a regenerative future. Their stories will help us answer the big question, what is good garbage? My one obsession in the last many years has been to make an effort towards finding alternates to multi-layered flexible packaging substrates. So when the name of Jonathan Quinn came up, I jumped at the bait. Jonathan is literally born into flexible packaging and has toyed with the substrate his entire life. He knows each detail of each layer, its applications and challenges. He has slowly moved his attention towards sustainability, but is very aware of the complexity of the situation. I get to learn a lot in this conversation and we dabble into various nuances of these materials. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Hello, hello. I'm so happy today to have Jonathan Quinn, the Global VP of Marketing and Sustainability at Encredo Packaging. Uh, Jonathan, you may not know this, but uh, flexible packaging has been an absolute obsession for me for over 10 years. Uh, and, and I've had to learn from you. And thank you so much for joining us uh, for this conversation. No, thank you for being here. And uh, I'm very excited to hear that there is somebody else that is obsessed with flexible packaging like I am. Yeah, I don't know how much, if we can compare our obsessions, because yours yeah. apparently starts way before mine. And it's so wonderful to hear that you grew up with packaging. So tell us more about that, the influences from your folks and how that shaped your thinking. Yeah, it's it's people oftentimes when you ask them, well, how did you you find packaging and people often say, well, I met somebody or there was a job or whatever. And they usually are once they're once you're in it, you, you, you stay with it uh, and it's hard to escape. But for me, I was didn't really have a choice. I had a choice, but I was was born into it. Um, so I have pictures of me in a box of resin. Um, when I was two, I was in the lab doing testing on films before I could tie my shoes. Um, so really it was an opportunity for me that I got, um, because my dad was, is in the industry and I grew up around the flexible packaging industry and have, it's had me, it's had me since the, the very beginning. Um, nobody probably will ever want to go to a grocery store with me if they've ever been, um, because that's the same, uh, characteristic that I learned from my dad. We were he was never allowed to go to the grocery store because every excursion in the grocery store ended up taking hours because it was always about inspecting packaging, looking for new opportunities. And, and that's the, the, the same that is true for me. But I also went to school, studied packaging and business at Clemson. That was my, my dream uh, growing up. And it is kind of, it is weird, um, but I have to just now in, in this conversation have to reflect back that I'm living out my dream and um, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. 
So I have to actually have my wife hear this part of the <laughs> initial <laughs> spiel that you've given because she gives me so much grief about me walking the aisles of supermarkets because yeah. it is like that, you know. And, and yeah. the other side, I'm sure you go through this, you know, a present would arrive and I'm only interested in the wrapper. I'm not Ooh. interested in what is inside. I come from yeah. the pulp and paper background, so I'm putting it up in the light and seeing how the formation is, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And then she's just like, oh my gosh, can you stop? And can you can you actually not spend an hour in the grocery market? But I'm like, <laughs> I have to look at, you know, how yeah. this new packaging is evolving. So it's, there's so much parallel there. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned that it was, you were literally born into it. But we can go either direction, right? Lots of people mm -hmm. don't want to do what their parents are doing. Yeah. So what was it about your father that made you so clear that this is the direction you want to head? So there's there's two main things that I would say that drove me into it. And it's the single most important thing to all this to me. And, and that's people. Um, I saw the people that my dad was interacting with, the relationships that he had with people and that he still has to this day. Um, and they, those same people have had a profound impact on me and my career. Um, people are, are what is most important to me and, and, and that's what also makes this industry so great. Um, but the other thing for, for me, and it's similar to when we talk about the grocery store and similar to when you talk about whether it's pulp and paper materials or whether it's flexible packaging or plastic packaging, um, at the end of the day, plastic packaging, flexible packaging, and, and all forms of packaging make the everyday life of the everyday consumer possible. And that's really what we have an opportunity to do as, as being a part of the industry is to legitimately take a step back and look and say, I'm, we collectively are making the everyday life possible. And that's something that not everybody can say, I'm not going to call out any other industries by name, but, but packaging, I mean, if you just ask somebody, times did you come in contact with flexible packaging by breakfast? There's multiple different examples that are very, very true. And that's what I think has captivated me uh and really has driven me to be so passionate about it but i think ultimately now looking at where my role is today and my role particularly as it pertains to sustainability um was looking back at at opportunities to to beat my dad to to do more than my dad um and if you look back in the late 80s and through to through to the um, early 2000s, sustainability wasn't a conversation. Was flexible packaging enabling sustainability? Yes. But doing it and being methodical and being very focused in regards to sustainability, and that's what I see as and, and what has continued to energize me about being so excited about the industry is, is how sustainability and how flexible packaging enables sustainability for the everyday consumer. It's so interesting that you mentioned this and there's a bunch of thoughts that went through my head as you were mm -hmm. kind of speaking because, you know, when you talk about modern lifestyle, you're so right because it's so shaped by packaging and it's actually magic material. You can open a bag of crisp chips uh, yeah. six months after they've been manufactured and they are as crispy and the smell is as good as they were made yesterday. 
And yep. that enables a certain amount of thinking. The shelf life that has been created is a certain, it, it's basically because of the packaging that has been evolved. It's literally like mm -hmm. a magic material. Uh, one of the things and I, of course, come from also from the obsessive space of how do we leave the planet cleaner? Yes. And you are working in that domain as well. Uh, but one of the things that uh, there was a guy from General Mills who actually, I'm forgetting the name, but but very interesting. He taught me about 10 years back when I was talking about my strings, string of failures. Um, because I was trying to sell this idea that we must become more compostable, sustainable. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me and laughed. I said, okay, what? And uh, he was like, do you understand the kind of impact, environmental impact that we will make if your packaging did not work? Yes. I was like, huh. And he said, think of the whole chain of potato chips, you mm -hmm. know, the growing of the potatoes, the farming, the amount of energy that needs, the sorting, the cold storage, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the actual process of chopping and rejecting and frying and energy and, you know, and if a bag doesn't have the right seal strength just simple thing like that yeah you know the, the environmental impact of that is huge so i'm yes. interested in knowing your perspective on that thought and because you mentioned this uh, in terms of sustainability uh, and then of course we can dig a little bit deeper on other sustainability aspects yeah i mean i think he he was highlighting the overall significant environmental impact that is food waste and the ramifications for food waste are tremendous. And if you drew a comparison between developing countries versus the developed countries. So in developing countries, the majority of the food waste happens before the product reaches the consumer. In developed countries, the food waste happens after it reaches the consumer because of efficiencies mainly associated with manufacturing, but also transit packaging and a number of things that that play a role there. Um, but food waste is the biggest and, and greatest challenge that we have in front of us. I think you, you kind of highlighted a, a perception that probably many consumers have. And that perception is that uh, there should be a better way or there should be a way that we can do or eliminate packaging and not need packaging. Or we should just make all packaging out of paper. But what we need to understand is there's a science and factual-based reasoning behind material selection and packaging format selection. Um, I'm probably a, a plastic loyalist, but what I will say is that there is opportunities for plastic to be replaced. There is opportunities for material uh, swapping, call it. But what we need consumers and what we collectively all need to understand is, is plastic enables a lot of those products to be on the shelf today and enables um, those products to be on the shelf because of the technical value that it provides. And that's basically around shelf life and sanit sanitation, um, but also containment, a number of, a number of things, but, but primarily it's that shelf life and um, it's keeping things sanitary, clean and, and protected. Um, and 
the consumer oftentimes loses sight of, of that critical point. I, the other spiel I've been uh, giving to people is that the best packaging is no packaging. And uh, if we take care of our own health, the planet's health will be fine because mm -hmm. uh, in that case, we will eat less processed food. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that means that, you know, typically if you're eating more fresh food, it comes with lesser packaging. So what is your, what is your take on something yeah. like that? So, um, so this is, I'm, I'm going to give, give my younger brother a little bit of a plug here. Um, so as I said earlier, I went to Clemson and I, I studied packaging and business. Um, my brother also followed and, and he went to Clemson and, and studied packaging. Um, and he will always say he, his mission is to work himself out of the job, um, out of a job because he, his, that's his hope is that we're not going to need packaging. We don't need packaging because of, for a variety of different reasons. Um, I say the flip side is that um, I believe that that packaging will always be something fundamental, um, that we will always need packaging. Um, but I, I think that we can all strive to create opportunities for there to be less packaging or packaging that um, is enabling sustainability and ultimately by enabling sustainability in the circular economy, um, the environment is in a better better place um it i would say the particular with products that are those natural and organic um those are oftentimes the products that need packaging the most um and those are the ones that don't have um the preservatives and and, and additives to um combat oxidation or combat moisture uh, pickup for whatever reason. Now, I'm not, not necessarily am I sitting here as a proponent for, for any of those additives or, or, or anything like that, um, but just saying that there is a, a price to pay to be able to have that and to have those truly 100% organic products. Um, and that's where packaging enables you as a consumer to, to have those products and for the shelf life of those products to be recognized and, and realized. Um, and one, one of the things in early, early in my career, I, I worked for a company that made um, oxygen absorbers, um, moisture absorbents, active packaging technology. And we developed a, a, a campaign called clean label technology. So people would say clean label technology, like you make clean labels. No, we develop solutions that extend the product shelf life without having to add additives that none of us can pronounce. And that really is tied to the absorption of whether it was oxygen or moisture or, or other gases, call it, um, in certain situations um, that, that happen in those, those, those part of those products. Um, and that's one of the things that, again, the consumer, if you look at beef jerky, for example, and there was just an example of this on, on LinkedIn uh, a few, few days ago, where somebody had a bag of that should have been beef jerky, but it was just all the, um, the small packets on the inside that say do not eat. And everybody assumes that those are silica packets. 
those aren't silica packets and they're not there for moisture. They're there for oxygen and they're there to absorb oxygen um, to extend that the, 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 the actual product shelf life. Um, and there's actually no silica on the inside. It's actually iron, which iron then oxidizes and absorbs the um, oxygen. And it, anyway, point being is there's those same reasons of why you want to go down that path of natural organic. Um, you actually need packaging more in those instances than, than you may believe. Oh, that's a great clarification. Did not think of it like that, you know, extending shelf life of things that don't have enough uh, preservatives in it. Uh, I, want to, I want to actually uh, delve a little deeper on your move towards more and more sustainability. So you, you are a good packaging guy. Your dad did flexible packaging. You went into it. What is it in you that you wanted to? Is it, is it market forces or is it something within you or is it a combination of both? that you've gone ahead and focused on building more and more sustainability into your role? It comes down to, to, to three things. And I can't say that there are three things. There are three people. But um, if you see over the, my shoulder is two of my kids, and now I have three kids since that picture was taken. But um, I want my kids to be proud of their dad and the industry in which their dad was a part of, their brother, their their uncle is a part and, and my, and my dad is, is a part, was a part of, and, and actually my grandfather was a, was a press operator. So he was a part of it as well. I want them to be proud of what we're doing to enable their future. Um, I want them to be proud and to be able to say that, Hey, my dad helped do that. Um, the flexible packaging helped us have this and helped the environment be better because of it. Um, that's, I would say, probably my my top 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 goal. Um, but I think also because I went to school for for packaging, and because I've then over the course of the past uh, ten years, you've really seen materials be villainized and plastic be one of them, um, and really wanting to seek out the opportunities and create the opportunities to showcase why material selection is so critical. Um, and, but also push the envelope, push the limits of what plastic could do today and how can we do it tomorrow in a more positive, environmentally positive way. And, and that's hard to do. That plastic is an incredibly sustainable product for all the reasons that that I could name off. But because it already is there, it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of innovation, it takes a lot of number one, what what, what it all takes is partnership. Um, and so that partnership aspect of being able to collaborate across the supply chain in order to enable sustainability is one of the things that I would say is, is also a, a primary pull or or why I've been and, and, and why I am so passionate about sustainability is being able to work with one, one of the things that we, we talked about or I talked about earlier is what's so important to me is, is people and it's coming together with people to enable sustainability and to enable the overall environment to be better and, pos and, 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 and make a positive impact. Uh, I think it's for humanity itself, I think it's so important to have people like yourself who understand packaging deeply and are trying to 
kind of take it to the next level in a way to find better products and to move uh, in that direction. And that takes me back to your education. You know, you went to a wonderful university, studied uh, packaging. But within that, what I find is that you went ahead and did a year, or I don't know if it was an exchange with Dalian University of Technology in China. Uh, and that's that's a well-known university as well. But uh, why that and why, why China? How did that happen? Yeah, so um, I will tell you, so I, 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 I did my study abroad uh, time in, in Dalian. Um, and I've always, I've always really loved and welcomed the opportunity to learn from people who've lived, who are in a different part of the world, who have a different perspective, because it, number one, I should always be appreciative that I'm an American and I, I grew up here, but we're only one country and we're only one, one group of citizens call us and there's so much more out there. And uh, when I got the opportunity uh, to, to go to Dalian as, as a part, so I was there as a part of the executive MBA program, but I was an undergrad uh, student. And then, um, and then we were integrated as a part of, of at uh, Dalian um, at the school there, and it was a it was a tremendous opportunity. And that also it's it's why I did during my my school I I did my um, my packaging co op, and I did uh, kind of a four or five month uh, stint in the UK, and then another uh, three months in in um, in the Netherlands, and that was a tremendous opportunity because it, I think you, you may have done a, a, a work study program of, of some sort. And when you're an intern, you're always learning. Everything is new. Everything is different. Um, and, and it's a, a great opportunity, but to be able to do that and do that in a different country where I was learning at work, but I was learning outside of work just as much as I was learning at work. And I think, those that learning and that ability to build relationships with people from all different walks and all different perspectives is something that I've always I've always wanted and and that was something that was really important to me um, and I I forever will remember my my time in, in Dalian. Yeah, and my wife and I are absolute nomads, so we, we talk about the amount we've learned from travel and experiences like yourself. You've, of course, gone ahead and gone deeper in terms of really spending a lot of time. But we, the first thing we do in the beginning of the new year is that where are we going to travel this year? <laughs> where are we going to spend at least two months of the year You know, in a different place, in a different surrounding, even working from there, but being in a different surrounding? Because I think it puts you, like you're saying, it puts you in a place where you don't know what is going to come next. So, and that enables so much learning. But let's let's switch to packaging, back to packaging, and uh, mm -hmm. and then to a credo. Uh, talk to us a little more about uh, what a credo does, and a little bit about your journey to a credo as well. So, I mean, I'll I'll do the little bit of the journey, and then I'll I'll cover kind of a credo at the the API group of companies, um, because that's a as somebody that's in packaging, but also somebody that's in marketing and somebody that's in sustainability, it's it's a really it's a really exciting story that I get to tell. And being in marketing, telling stories is 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 what it's about. 
telling true stories is what it's about, I should say. Um, but yeah, my like we 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 discussed um, my journey from Clemson. Um, I was in uh, was was given. Well, I, I graduated from Clemson in not the greatest time to uh, to enter the the workforce. I I graduated in uh, December of of two thousand and eight, which was just as it the global economy had kind of it had all hit the uh, proverbial fan. Um, but I, I took on an opportunity to be uh, a, a regional sales manager uh, for a company that, that made scientific instrumentation for the packaging industry. And then I transitioned it to that company that was an active packaging. Um, and I've always been on the commercial side of things. And I've had some other global sales roles and global key account, uh, multinational account manager roles, uh, traveled the world. Uh, and then transitioned into to marketing um, when I went to work for for Nova Chemicals in the in their polyethylene business about um, about uh, eight years ago, and then the world kind of really opened up for me there. Um, I think that's really that was a a, a launching point for my career um, because I found a sweet spot. I found a sweet spot that that I really was able to, uh, to have an impact and, and do things a little bit differently. And then, um, after, uh, over five and a half years there, I, I had an opportunity, um, to go and be a part of, uh, starting up a business within a broader business, but, but really starting up a business, um, at Pregis and, and building out their, uh, the performance flexibles, um, side of the, the, the of that business unit, which was tremendously gratifying. I mean, we didn't even have a, a company name at that point. And I mean, it started from the bottom and, and building out and, and commercializing that. And um, I will say the the decision to leave Pregis was was one that um, I will always say was the probably the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. Um, because I put so much time, energy and effort and built out the collaboration and partnership and um, and really the the business was beginning to, to, to commercialize at the level we we had expected. Um, but this opportunity to come and be a part of a credo and, and to build off of what the family family started um, was was one that I, I couldn't I couldn't pass up um, anymore. Uh, and, and I and I I I I, I say that very, it was, it was very hard, but, um, but what has me so excited and, and why I'm so passionate about Accredo and, and the, and the API group of companies. So, because I have, I have responsibility for, for all of the, the API uh, group of companies, but this business was, was ultimately started by Vietnamese refugees that um, escaped the fall of Saigon came to the U.S. to pursue the American dream. It was 12 siblings, 11 brothers and one sister that that came. Uh, That's and, a big family. Yeah, yeah. And now, I mean, they, it was 1986 when they, they, they realized they came here and they were in the, the fishing industry and they decided they didn't really want to be on the water. And so they went down the path of, of um, supplying bags 
for the for the fish and, and shrimp industry uh, and made bags, traditional grocery store bags and, and similar and, and really grew that business. Um, and today we're the second largest producer of, of grocery bags in the world. And then they pivoted and said, we need to diversify. And they went down the flexible packaging, vertically integrated flexible packaging converter route, uh, leveraged what they knew on extrusion, but entered in a whole new realm with, uh, with printing and, and converting. But what really sets this story apart is the vision that they had in that 2008, 2009, and focus and emphasis on sustainability. When people weren't talking about sustainability remotely close to the realm that they are today, at that point, they made the transition to 100% wind-powered facility, manufacturing facility, LEED Silver certified manufacturing and office facilities. We're the only LEED Silver certified uh, flexible packaging company in North America, if not um, that I know of in the world, um, which is tremendous because LEED Silver certification is, is not something that you just do. You have to do it from the beginning, meaning you have to source the materials from a given geography. You have to do a lot from an infrastructure building, a tremendous amount of things. And, and they did that before it was even thought or talked about, really. Um, and then in uh, 2019, opened a, a, uh, a Credo Asia in Vietnam, which is solar powered. And it's, a, it's, it's almost a mirror image as far as um, the, the, the machinery and the layout that we have in, in Sugarland, Texas. Um, but again, being very forward looking and, and very focused um, on sustainability. And, and when I say sustainability is fundamental and foundational to who we are, it is. And, and, and we've been and have the track record to prove it. And there's nobody in the industry that can say that they're hundred percent wind power. That's, that's really powerful. And, and as, as we look to, um, companies making and, and, and people being held accountable for their scope one, two, three emissions um, and our ability to impact and have a significant impact on our customers, scope three, um, that's going to create another competitive advantage, I truly believe. And ultimately, our ability to help our customers achieve their goals is really what it's about um, and how we can help all those that are part of the um, call it the supply chain to be better. Um, Acredo, the API group, Advanced Poly Bag, which is the the, the grocery bag business, um, and then we have a another uh, a reusable bag business as, as well. I mean, all of these things they they add up, and you sit back and you say, "Wow, like this family did something right," and the the vision that they had 15, uh, 20 years ago, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. And, and now to see it all come to, to, to life. Um, and as we're now, we're, we're entering that second generation, uh, of the family. Um, I've, I've 
say I'm, I'm incredibly lucky to be able to work alongside of, uh, with, with that second generation. And I truly believe that the best is yet to come. And, and this next chapter is going to be the most exciting chapter in the API group and, and the Credo's, Credo's history. I'm glad you told us this story because now it, everything comes into perspective because I was thinking, you know, when I was, uh, Looking at a credo, I was thinking, you know, why is there so much focus on sustainability? And in, in terms of sustainability, I'm moving more to the products in terms of recyclability and compostability, because that's not something that comes up right up front, even when I look at bigger flexible uh, packaging kind of uh, groups. Uh, uh, and, and it's not, it's not I'm, I'm, you know, you and I both go to various exhibitions and it's not top of their minds even now. But I can see that coming from this pedigree of thought where, you know, the thought is even being provided to the kind of energy we are going to use, the kind of buildings we are going to make, and then the kind of future we are going to create. And I want to pivot to the products because that's very interesting as well, because I guess most of our listeners are do understand packaging and they probably understand how complex flexible packaging is. But I'm going to start with recyclability because that's a tough one in itself. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah. and we can switch to compostability later because especially what you were talking about before in terms of air and moisture ingress. And I know that you guys have like a nine layer machine. So layering is really important. Metallization is really important, which creates uh, multiple substrates. And that means the recyclability is compromised in many ways. So talk to us first about, you know, how you guys went about creating a recyclable, flexible pack. And is the application pretty ubiquitous or is it specific to certain usages where the barrier needs may be a little lower? Yeah, so this is, um, this is a, it's a, it's a great question. And it's, it's when, when you look at who was the originator, the Acredo was the first company to offer a recyclable stand-up barrier pouch in North America. They were the first. Um, that is, it 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 ties to the, to the to the question of like uh, how or or why is sustainably so at the the, the forefront? Um, what and and that's really what it what it was. But it was. I think at the time, maybe there were rumblings about sustainability, but that was where the the, the family and the, the leadership at the time saw this is our opportunity to create a spot for us. And um, we've quickly, quickly grown and but we've all it's all been organic growth. We've not had any growth by acquisition. And so why I say that is is that people began to to, to gravitate towards uh, sustainability and, and and we've continued. Now, do we have products that are non-recyclable? Yes. Do we have traditional mixed material films? Yes. Um, now, do we have opportunities to transition those for some of the customers? Yes. But those are all part of their material selection and materials are selected for, for various reasons but they're selected for operational efficiencies. Um, there's a reason why um, mixed material caught is, is more cost-effective. Uh, it runs faster, all those things. But um, 
but to your point in regards to is recyclable barrier packaging um, broadly applicable? And the answer is yes. Now, is there some applications where it's going to be pretty difficult, um, where shelf life will be impacted? Um, of, of course. But is there a tremendous number of opportunities today where um, some of the there's a lot of, we'll call it low hanging fruit. But again, to my, my previous point, that's the hard part is creating and developing packaging solutions, plastic packaging solutions that stretch that limit, that we were able to find new ways to, to, to enable that and, and, and deliver that same shelf life, uh, I would say is, is one of those ongoing ongoing things but the shelf life and the conversation around barrier there's bar the the materials that are used to provide that barrier are often are oftentimes used for other things like abuse resistance and toughness of films um, while they provide barrier but there's there's also a toughness that's needed so there's there's other other things and that that play into the conversation and and there's things like heat for example and, and heat resistance and um those those all play into this whole mono versus uh mixed material but um there's there's a ton of innovation going on 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 um machine direction orientation mdo films um which is a, a new integrated process of making blown film um, to give different performance related characteristics. Uh, there's biaxi oriented uh, polyethylene, which there, there really hasn't been much of that, but now that market is, is expanding. Um, and so there's a lot of new technology that that's coming um, and is, it's not, there's no silver bullet. And, and I always say, if anybody walks into a room and say they have the silver bullet to solving all the challenges within sustainability, you can tell them to walk right out the door that they walked in because nobody's got a silver bullet. Um, but there's there's a, a bright future already. There's so much that can be done. Um, but I, I truly believe in the innovation and development that's that's coming um, and that we're, we're all a part of. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on the silver bullet. <laughs> I don't think there is. Uh, there will be multifarious kind of solutions that hopefully will come together to provide us, like you said in the in the beginning, that you know, future for our children and and to leave the planet a little cleaner than what you and I have found. Uh, mm -hmm. Staying with recycling, and I am really interested in um, as much as you can share in terms of creating the right. I guess it has to be a. Uh, mono layer, but I guess it could be it could be multiple or mono substrate, but multiple layers in order to Correct. be able to create the kind of uh, barriers that are needed. Uh, that's one part of it. How do you do it? And the second part of it is you mentioned that not every application can be tackled, but what would be the low hanging fruits where you would have an easier time with the customer to say, okay, guys, at least let's shift to a recyclable substrate and people are more mm -hmm. accepting of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, so 
Uh, there's there is people that oftentimes uh, get confused with when you when you talk about a mono material. It's not a, some people call it a mono layer. It's not a mono layer structure. Um, it is actually um, you would want more layers, but of the same material, same polyethylene material, um, but also the the thing that i mean this is a very widely well-known industry uh standard as far as um traditional applications of uh, barrier applications use nylon which nylon is in in most in if not all cases is, is not recyclable um where you go down the path of of evoh which is utilized and is able to provide barrier and some of those other performance-related characteristics, abuse, resistance, and toughness, um, but still, um, if done at a level which doesn't get above a given percentage of that structure, that film would, would be deemed uh, as recyclable. So um, there's a number of, of different applications, but one of the applications that I, I, I quickly go to is is something like granola or um or, or cereals or pet treats or um nuts and seeds or, or snack mixes like that i mean just just things that that are quickly um could make that transition uh the toughness and abuse resistance is is easily capable and the, and the shelf life is is, is feasible as well um, those are some of those things that I, I see as, as low hanging fruit, but it's other things like, um, traditional laundry detergent pods that, that come in a, a stand up pouch of, of some sort or, or, or dishwasher pods, um, things like that, which, um, really it's about mainly it's about protecting moisture, but what people sometimes don't know is it's also protecting the odor and it's, the odor, which we all like, the smell of those soaps, but it's a it's keeping that from escaping and transferring next to the products that it may be close to on the aisle or it may be close to in, in transit. Or if we could all smell all the laundry detergent pods that were on the grocery store aisle, it would be overpowering. And so that's part of those, those things. But those are all part of of that material selection but the other big part is that operational efficiency and making sure that you're enabling those films to run and seal on equipment the same as as others so um yeah hopefully i've i've answered your your question there oh absolutely um but of course digging a little bit uh, deeper because you mentioned aroma uh, what I'm told is that um, aroma, when it comes to uh, monomaterials, uh, the kind of substrates, aroma is easier to hold in a plastic kind of uh, polyethylene mm -hmm. substrate than moisture. Why is that? Why why is moisture more difficult? And why do you need like a metal layer? Is that is that the porosity? What what is it that causes that? And and how have you overcome it in your recyclable uh, pouches? I believe it to be uh, associated with the molecule size. Um, so 
liquid moisture molecules being um, bigger than oxygen. Uh, I think I'm explaining that correctly, but it, it, it has to, it has to do with, with that, that this is, this is, this is the most, uh, technical and in-depth, uh, question I've, I've ever been asked on a podcast, I have to admit. And, um, but that's what, that's the explanation that, that I would give now, if, uh, if the fact checkers are out there and they, uh, they want to they, they want to tell me otherwise um, they, they that may be uh, that may be the case but ultimately it, it has to do with with that that's interesting yeah must be like it makes sense that you know if the the uh, <clears throat> size of the molecule is smaller it can probably escape a little bit easier and yeah. hence uh, and it could also be the material the structure of that and somehow the metal seems to be able to retain uh, the mm -hmm. moisture side and that's the challenge many of us face you know, like you guys have clearly overcome that challenge by some sort of uh, innovation where you're not having to use multiple substrates and you're using multiple layers uh, mm -hmm. instead and i see on your website that there's like a nine layer machine that's a lot of layers yeah. jonathan so, yeah so yeah. is that also in in kind of service of this idea that you're going to create a mono substrate uh, structure or does is that needed for certain complex applications where you know the 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 requirements are much more stringent why does how does a nine layer structure help as far as the need for nine there's three five there's a there's it goes in in increments but there's so there's we have um we have a, a an array of of offerings but um but the traditional call it um barrier um recyclable um packaging is is traditionally you're gonna find it's it's a it's a combination of films but uh the the barrier film is most likely a seven or, or nine layer structure depending on um the desired or the required performance characteristics um but that's also plays into that conversation i mentioned earlier about mdo film and machine direction oriented being able to do even more with a with a nine layer film or being able to do even more with a seven layer film that you could only do maybe with an 11 layer film, just, just for, uh, for example purposes, um, in providing different functional performances, performance characteristics while still having that same, uh, barrier properties. So, um, it's, uh, it's amazing where the world of, of blown film extrusion is, has come over the course of the past 30 years, even after over the course of the past 10 years. Um, what was a very, um, there was numerous people required to run a blown film line years and years ago. And, and now we can do it uh, with a much less of a, a workforce. Um, but the overall, performance that blown film ext extrusion provides is has been tremendous 
Okay, I'm going to switch to my favorite part, which is because I'm amazed that, you know, when I'm looking at your compostable structures, it's beautiful to see that you guys can actually come under one WBTR or water vapor transmission rate, mm -hmm. moisture vapor transmission rate, and one OTR, which mm -hmm. is really impressive performance. And uh, how did that come about? I'm sure it took a lot of R&D and innovation to be able to build those structures and to actually be able to have a have a possibility of commercializing them. And so how did that come about and how are you kind of being able to market it and how's the acceptability in the market for compostable firms? Yeah. So when it when it comes to um, when it comes to the, the, the technical aptitude and depth um, to enable that product, um, it really shows true to the to the guts that of, of a credo that has me so excited. And when I say guts, it's the, the, the brains and the horsepower that we have within our organization to develop those structures and to collaborate with suppliers and partners uh, to, to, to make it happen. Um, and being the first um, compostable uh, zipper pouch and meet the ASTM protocol is is something to, to to celebrate and something that that they all we all should be very excited about um but it was it really was about how do we continuously improve and how are we continuously pushing the envelope when it comes to to sustainability the biggest hurdle with compostability within the north american market is the access to industrial composting um, and that's the, the, the biggest challenge. Um, but because of where, where things are, I mean, I, I think this is probably one of my overall largest frustrations with those outside of packaging, but those that, that buy packaging is there hasn't been this significantly high rate of adoption, uh, for, for that solution, um, but hopefully we'll we'll we'll, we'll get there. Um, but it's it's one of those challenges, and and the just as you identified those that those barrier levels are are impressive, um, and the the only downside to the the compostable conversation is is one that I think we all know, but that packaging doesn't last forever on the shelf for its inherent reason that it is compostable. Um, so those are some of those things, but I think, I think we're going to see more of it and particularly where compostable makes the most sense is in food packaging where you can't clean completely um, because there'd be too much residue and it would, it would be a contamination in the mechanical recycling process. That's where, um, where it would in effect leave some food waste behind. That's where I think compostable is going to have a place to play. Um, but also I think when we look at, um, some other, uh, garden applications and, and things like that, um, that, uh, that there, there could be a tr tremendous, uh, potential, market uh 
capture call it in in others yeah i, I couldn't agree more with you in terms of uh, industrial composting because as much as we want not many of us are going to compost at home so it mm -hmm. will have to have some kind of collection mechanism and composting for it to really catch the fancy of majority of population mm -hmm. and for it to happen at scale The Good Garbage Podcast has been brought to you by PACA. PACA has been creating solutions in the food packaging, carry and service space. PACA utilizes sugarcane residue and upcycles it into amazing products. Their latest offering is a compostable, flexible packaging solution for the chocolate and confectionery industry. The products are available in the Indian subcontinent and in North America now. Packa is also building an end-to-end -end solutions for customers in the food service and delivery space. For any query, do email at connect at packa.com and packa is P-A-K-K-A. -A. Now, back to the show. Uh, what, about, uh, what about the cost side? Are you able to come in the ballpark of, uh, of customers being able to accept if they did want uh, a compostable film, or do you think it's still there is still time for us to be in that 20, 30, 40% ballpark? If that's the case, then people get interested. If you're double or triple of the price, then it is a challenge. How, how are you yeah. seeing cost, uh, cost evolve? Well, I, I, think, um, I think when you talk about the cost aspect of, of packaging and, and sustainable packaging, um, and I, this is one of the things that I've done a, a tremendous amount of research, consumer research, consumer focus groups on. Um, and anybody who says the consumer will pay more for sustainable packaging, there's it, the, the, the signs and facts that they won't. They could say it as to feel good, but if you monitor and measure and watch how they actually spend their dollars, um, they, they won't. Uh, when you look at the, the U.S. population has an, an 75% of or 77% of the U.S. population has a household income of less than uh, $75,000. And that's traditional, most households of, of four people. So these people, they need every penny, every dollar, and uh, it's it's. It sounds um, excessive, but it's life or death, basically. Um, but as far as the overarching um, cost, I mean, when you look at a traditional barrier film versus a monomaterial barrier barrier film, it's about market wide. It's it's going to be around twenty percent approximately more. Um, now that implication can be not just from the actual cost of the material, but also from the cost associated with line speed and running and, uh, and, and things like that, that, that all play into it. Um, but is there, there's definitely applications where, um, where that, that cost is, is not going to be as high. Uh, so, yeah, the, but the, the compostable is um, definitely on the high side. 
And that's really tied to the basic economics of the raw materials and that it's not uh, being produced at a widely uh, or even remotely near the uh, the rate at which traditional materials are being produced. So it's going to take time for those um, companies to be able to scale and to have material and to be able to produce uh, those materials at a, at a more cost-effective way. But I, I do, like you kind of touched on, I, I do believe that, that we're going to get there. Um, and I think that that also is is what I would tie to the, the, the post-consumer recycled content resins or advanced recycling. We're, we're going to continue to progress and, and we collectively as an industry are going to get better and that pricing will get better. But one of the keys to that pricing getting better is that the rate of adoption by brand owners has to get better. Um, and I spoke at a conference about advanced recycling um nine or ten months ago and i said at the end of the day we need two things we need two p's we need price and we need po's we need price or i said pennies actually we need the resin producers and the those that are producing the uh <laughs> producing the advanced recycled materials to to drop a few pennies but we also need these brands to step up and start placing POs because collectively as an industry, we have made tremendous strides and tremendous improvements um, to be able to supply them uh, more sustainable products. Uh, but the rate of adoption just hasn't been there. And I think that for me um, is something that I, I, I struggle with and I get frustrated with um, because Six years ago, I would have thought we would be far further along than, than we are today. Yeah, and you're so right, because 20% is not that high in the scheme of things. Of course, it appears high as a total PO kind of uh, book. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you think of per package, you know, uh, the, the packaging would typically be 5 to 6% of the cost. And if you look at you know, you're adding pennies. It's not It's mm -hmm. not that much. So that's interesting to hear. And I'm so happy that you actually mentioned this one aspect, which we forget uh, when we look at packaging substitution, which is actually really, really important. It's the conversion speed. The machines are used to running at a certain speed. They cannot, uh, they would not want to slow down or you have to, when we look at um, the products that we are trying to substitute, it's we have to look at per square meter in the end. What is the cost, you know, apple to apple per square meter finished product? Because right, if you just right. uh, if you just look at per kg, it's it's different, right? It could it could be just twenty percent, but when you look at it apple to apple after the runability and things like that, it becomes very different. Are there so you mentioned there are certain applications which are very difficult? There are certain applications like you said granola and things like that which are easier. Uh, what about markets? Are there certain people or customers that are more easy to convince? You you kind of mentioned your frustration uh, with the lack of adoption, but do you find certain segments where people are, you know, like, or certain size, maybe a bigger customer is more difficult because there's a longer chain of command. Where would you start if you were to kind of say that, okay, guys, I've cracked this. It's about 20% higher. This is what I'm going to target. What would that be? 
So what I can tell you is when you look at from a consumer standpoint, and really it all comes back to consumer education here in that if we continue to ignore the consumer when it comes to sustainability, where there's many brands that are removing the How to Recycle logo and removing um, indications of sustainable packaging, which they're providing them, um, but they're not including that on the package for a variety of different reasons. The longer we keep progressing without bringing them along for the ride, they won't understand the sustainability that we're enabling. And why I bring that up is it's tied to consumer understanding around, um, around why materials are selected. And if you ask consumer to select packaging and which would they uh, prefer, they would prefer, or, or why do they prefer that packaging? So glass, metal, um, or paper, consumers will tell you and they highlight them for their recyclability. But plastic packaging, they highlight for its convenience and for its ease of use. Um, and what is so critical is that we educate because the millennial demographic is the demographic that is most easily swayed from one side to the other when they are educated and shown why a material has been selected and why um, and how it is more sustainable from a scientific reason. And the millennial demographic now within the world is a demographic that has the largest buying power. And so I, I really believe that we need to focus on and continue to educate consumers on that, um, on that really what packaging is providing them and that overall sustainability is enabled through the material selection. The one of the parts that I want to understand from you is there is that where are the where where do you see the lower hanging fruits? If you're to introduce a new material, I'm sure as a marketing person, you think, okay, these guys will be more easy to kind of uh, they will be more open to adoption. Uh, what would those industry or segments be? If I'm going backwards and talking specifically about the market segment uh, aspect of of your question, um, there is, I think really markets like that granola cereal um, aspect is, is that, that low hanging fruit. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the confection market, but I say that, and it's easy for me to say that it, there's a lot of opportunity in confection market, but the, the challenges is the, of how tight the, the margin is on those products and how critical line speed is associated with those products. So we've got to get, we've got to get that dialed in, but we've got to get to the starting block in order to take it and dial it in even further. And I think that's where we need that adoption and that initiative and the, those taking the opportunity to, to really grab the bull by the horns and, and make it make it happen um 
and that's where I see there's so much opportunity for in crowded spaces, whether it's paper towels, toilet paper, candy, or anything, where there's a crowded space of people playing in that segment, where some today are moving away from showcasing what whether they have recyclable materials or whether they have recycled content, those are the market segments where people need to lean in. People need to say, hey, ours is recyclable or we have 30% recycled content because in crowded spaces, you want every opportunity that you can find to create that separation. And really, that is what we, we should all be, be, be seeking out. Um, and that's also going to do things like we talked, I talked about, about consumer not paying more, but will consumer make a buying decision based on product that is virtually the same price? One has recycled content versus the other, even maybe it, it might, but if the, if the company doesn't put that on the package to showcase it, it's not going to be a part of that, that buying decision. So they may not pay more for it, but you will sell more of it because you have it. Yeah, that's that's smartly smartly put. You're right. You have to kind of be able to speak about it and tell the story, as you said. Uh, what about uh, when you look at companies? There's large declarations by huge conglomerates uh, made that you know by 2025, by 2030, they're going to do this uh, kind of shift uh, to a more sustainable packaging option. Uh, do you see them to be more easy to convince or do you see smaller brands uh, where there is a more, maybe a lower chain, a smaller chain of command uh, to decision-making? How do you see that aspect uh, of when you're trying to promote a material? Yeah. So I, I can tell you, I, I mean, I, I definitely believe those, some of those smaller brands are, are able to make that transition much quicker. Um, I will tell you that those larger brands, they have a much more sophisticated persona. And what I mean by that is they're not just, it's not a, just a transactional, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to sell this. It's I'm going to buy this, but when I buy this, it's going to impact how I make this, how long I run this and how many I can make of this and all these different things. And what that all means is there is a major brand, a global brand, um, and there's multiple, but there's one specifically that I, I, I can use as an example, um, who they've promoted and they've made their claims associated with various commitments, and they've changed their executive um, compensation structure uh, to include sustainability, um, to include uh, enabling sustainability uh, through sustainable packaging choices. Um, and those same executives have made, in, in a lot of cases, the conscious decision to ignore packaging sustainability because it will impact all of their other metrics that they're being measured on, like operational efficiency, sales, uh, just overall output. Um, 
things that are very, I'm using very uh, rudimentary um, examples, but those are very real. Uh, and that's what really is tied to that operational efficiency and just operational uh, speed that, that comes as a consequence. And so they'd rather go and blow the, the doors off the hinges on, on everything else. And when, when a silver bullet like solution may come to the table, they may be adopter at, at that point, which for me is, is frustrating, but at the end of the day, um, we've got to continue to, to strive to, to, to get as close to that silver bullet as we, as we can. Super. And I also see that you work a lot with industry associates, with NGOs, with policy advocacy. How much, uh, how much role are you seeing that play a part? Because I presume uh, there will be a significant impact as, as you know, yeah. and, and you can, you can watch from the sidelines or you can play uh, it, along with exactly. it and, and, and play a part. And I see that you clearly dedicated, dedicate time and focus towards that. So tell us more about your work there and the impact that creates when you when you choose to get the right policy in place. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I can I can give you a, a quick example. Uh, but um, last year uh, in the state of California, uh, they had a proposed ban on plastic e-commerce packaging, and this was not just packaging that was going into the state, but it was also plastic e-commerce packaging that that's coming out of the state. And, um, and so I spoke to the California legislature and I talked to them about the fact that I went to school for material selection, for packaging, um, to protect products. Um, and at the end of the day, there is science and factual based reasoning behind material selection and making and bringing bills forward without understanding the science and factual based reasoning behind and why those materials are selected is negligent. And what I also talked to them about is that right at that and still to this day, they, they have two state funded packaging programs in their state of California, but they hadn't consulted with any of them, not with, not with either of them. And I said, in essence, what you're doing is you are banning heart medication without talking to a cardiologist. And there will be unintended financial and environmental consequences for your constituents in your districts that you need to understand. And we took them through that and, and really showed them all that that is and, and makes up uh, material selection and in particular um, for packaging and we we were able to defeat that but we collectively as an industry flexible packaging plastic packaging we've done a tremendous job of telling each other how great our packaging our materials are we've done a horrible job at educating the consumer and what everybody needs to understand is that what are consumers Consumers are ultimately legislators in training because all consumers or all legislators were just at one time and still today, even if there are, are, are legislators, they're just consumers at the end of the day. 
And so the better we educate them, the, 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 the more in, we will be able to impact. And, and that ties to my involvement with the Flexible Packaging Association. And when I, when I started the Emerging Leadership Council, which was designed to really um, bring the industry together, uh, the next generation of leadership, but to create opportunities to do things a little bit different. And that's through our engagement and, and helping to educate the younger generation. Uh, when I was growing up, it was teaching, um, it was all about smoking is bad and cigarettes are bad. And, and, and what do we do with that message? We take that message and we regurgitate it and we teach our parents and we teach everybody and anybody who listen that smoking is bad. And now there's a whole lot of teaching kids that plastic is bad and it's, it's horrible and, and we need to help educate them. But in educating them, we're educating teachers and teachers are going to take those same messages and share it and kids are going to sh share those messaging. So um, those are all parts of it. But my, uh, my involvement with the Flexible Packaging Association has is, is been something that's been tremendous. Um, uh, at the end of my career, one of the things that I'll be most proud of is the Emerging Leadership Council and, and what it's become and, and, and how it's brought people together that wouldn't have had the opportunity to do so. Um, but, but I think, um, like you brought up about having those conversations uh, with legislators, you got to be willing to, to do the, the, the hard work to, to put yourself in a little bit of an awkward situation. But that's, I think, um, maybe a little weird or wired, but I, I love those, those opportunities to have difficult conversations, to help educate, and to take what we know is an incredibly scientific and complex conversation and make it so that a toddler can understand it. Because if a toddler can understand it, anybody can understand it. And no matter what background those legislators may have, you can help them to understand why um, we'll be in a, in, a, in a better situation. And we also, I mean, the evolution of, 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 of EPR and, um, and what that's going to mean for particularly for the U.S. is, is something that we have to, to watch. But that's why having these conversations with legislators is, is so important. And I'm glad that in your home, you have a couple of toddlers to practice on, right? <laughs> I do. I do. I do. But, but that's wonderful. And I have to, I have to be cognizant of time and there's so much we can talk and, you know, we can just carry on. There's things that I haven't touched on, but uh, digging the conversation towards a closure, how are you seeing the, especially the sustainability side of a credo growing uh, in the, say, maybe the next five-year horizon? Um, what is the kind of growth that you see, uh, both in recycling and compostable kind of packaging substrates in the coming times? And, and maybe, you know, what is the impact that you want to make uh, in a five-year horizon? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. And it's one that every morning I wake up and I'm excited about because I see all that we have at our fingertips um, and, and what we can do to enable, um, our customers, uh, in reaching and achieving their sustainability goals, but the all encompassing for the industry to, to make sure that we're collectively 
leaving it in a, in a better place than it is uh, today, tomorrow. Um, the technology, the people, um, I, I truly believe that we've got, we've got something tremendous uh, to offer. And I, the, the rate of adoption is going to be more driven um, initially in that, call it that five-year horizon, is going to be focused on buying packaging that has recycled, um, that is recyclable, and then transitioning from recyclable to recycled content. So as you have more packaging that's recyclable, it's going to feed the overall um, ability to have more recycled content, which if you have more recycled content, it's going to bring down the cost. So I think it's going to be a, a wave um, associated with first, the focus will be a majority focusing on uh, I want to be recyclable and then working more um, broadly will be about incorporating uh, recycled content. Now, there's certainly going to be the vice versa in some instances, but um, that's, uh, I think, where we'll see a, a majority uh, go. Yeah, that's a very clear thought. And I can see that uh, because, uh, yeah, it feeds into each other. Yeah. Uh, great. Yeah. Uh, to my final question, what does good garbage mean to you? Good garbage means to me um, that it's good packaging. It's packaging that's provided and enabled the everyday life of the everyday consumer. It's it's packaging that's provided um, the product. It's it's shelf uh, shelf life and all the characteristics that the consumer bought that product for. Packaging enabled it, uh, and and it's it's just this is a this is such a great question and, and one that I, I smile answering because it's it's something that me and my my brother have talked about many times is that we just. We, we create garbage, but um, good garbage also to me is, is good recycling. Um, that products that one day today were seen as garbage will be tomorrow as seen as recyclable and circular and, and enabling a circular economy. So what's good garbage today, I hope tomorrow is, is good, good, good material for a circular economy. That's wonderfully put. This has been such an enlightening conversation. Like I said, we could have gone on for hours, uh, but but maybe a follow up at, at some yeah. point. And uh, uh, thank you for the work you're doing because it is it is people don't understand the complexity of this and uh, the kind of it is the toughest nut to crack. <laughs> and you know we can yeah. talk all about the grocery bag, but that's that's the easy bit. You know, like really to change. Uh, high quality food packaging and flexible substrates is where the real challenge lies. So thank you for the work you're doing, the focus you're bringing, the kind of person you are in terms of thinking about your kids. Uh, just It's just been wonderful speaking to you and thank you for being on the show. No, thank you. I really appreciate you having me and, and thank you for all that you do because ultimately at the end of the day, you're helping uh what my number one goal is is one of my number one goals are is to help the consumer understand the 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 challenge that is uh in front of us and uh without you and your work uh we would we would reach far less people so i tremendously appreciate uh all that you do and, and for having me on thank you for listening to the good garbage podcast 
follow us on social media to never miss an episode. Links are in the description below. I'm your host, Vedh Krishna. See you next time.